Welcome back, dear listener, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod, and joining me once again this season, we're very, very lucky that he has um, very graciously taken time out of his schedule to be here with us tonight. It's the one, the only, the only Tiger supporter who will tell it like it is, Patty Grinley. Patty, how are you, mate? Pleasure to have you on as always. I'm great, Casper. Um, Richmond's conceding seven or eight straight goals for the second week out of three has somehow not really <laughs> destroyed my brain yet. Um, but no, it's, it's it's great to be back and talking footy with you once again um, from the the stationary Subaru Forester in the northern suburbs. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Not sponsored by either Subaru or by the northern suburbs. Um and I'm sorry to tell you, Patty, it was actually 64 points in a, in a row that they conceded, not just... I, I lost count. I yeah, think sorry. I didn't have to bring that up. But at the same time, me with my footy nerddom, I kind of had to bring it up. But that's besides the point. Dear listener, basically what we're going to do, some exciting footy coming up this weekend. It's the AFLW Grand Final. We'll talk about the prelims. We'll talk about the Grand Final, preview the big game. Adelaide versus Melbourne, and then we'll get on to the men's. We'll talk about the major talking points to come out of the weekend, give our top two highlights, top two lowlights, which players surprised us the most, and then we'll, we'll preview round four. And round four, there are some super exciting matches that I cannot, cannot, cannot wait for. Let's get started with the AFLW first, Patty. It was a historic prelim final, the first official AFLW match since the competition started in 2017, to be played at the home of football. It was played on a windy and at times very wet afternoon, Melbourne defeating Brisbane by four points. Brisbane had more disposals, had more players with 10 or more disposals. 10 Lions had at least 10 touches as opposed to nine Melbourne players. Brisbane had more inside 50s. Brisbane laid more tackles and yet... Melbourne were more efficient. And this is what it comes down to, pure and simple. If you don't make the most of your opportunities, then you're going to lose nine times out of 10. Melbourne only had eight scoring shots as opposed to nine for Brisbane, yet Melbourne had five goals. Brisbane only had four. And Patty, that for me was the name of the game. What did you think of this match? Yeah, it was so cool to have an MCG game. Um and it really was sort of your autumnal MCG because it was a cold, wet, miserable bugger of a day, intermittent rain. I was down at Williamstown actually for the Darabin, William, Darabin versus Williamstown VFLW match. And I tell you what, being by the ocean when the, the days like that where the wind's sweeping in where it's wet, oh, it's, it's brutal. But yeah, great performance with the Ds. And it's, it's really heartwarming to see that you know, the, the Daisy Pierce is gonna is going to get a grand final and Karen Paxson, they're gonna get a grand final before their careers come to a close. I did think it was a really nice sort of closing the circle moment with that exhibition game all those years ago. Um the outstanding thing I think for me was the young D's like we've all we and it, it is a little bit with AFLW where some we, we get only a little bit of the uh general knowledge of that of the players we only really are told about a few probably because the sports is not given uh, the competition's not given the attention it deserves so it was a bit of a closer circle moment where you, everyone's talking about daisy pierce and karen pax when we played a 50th game was really good 
Um, but it was great to see the 19 year olds like um, Alyssa Bannon kicking three goals, like is it just absolutely killing it. Like she's quick. She's got great size. She, she murdered the lions. Um, Shelly Heath took out Courtney Hodder, which I thought was significant. We know how good Courtney Hodder is on the big stage. Just, you know, those that goal in the grand final last year, um, just outstanding. Shelly McNamara as well. Uh, pardon me, Eliza McNamara. I, that sort of run where they kick three on the go um, to take that nine point lead. And then, weren't really headed from there. I cannot believe that Brisbane gave away a 666 violation in the last minute, um, which is just pretty good indication of, where, I suppose, where the game is at. Um, a, a little bit with those rules, like you've just got to be switched onto that. Um, but yeah, just so cool to see a game at the MCG. Um, it's a shame that there were only 6,000 or so people there. Uh, and it's, it is a shame that we had that sort of weird dodgy fixturing where the grand final was sort of pushed back because of all the COVID action. But yeah, congratulations to Melbourne. Um, their list is far too good to have not made a grand final up to this point. And they'll come up against a team who are pretty well versed at it by now. You'd imagine four, four goes at a grand final with Adelaide. So yeah, yeah really, really exciting from the Ds. Absolutely. On to the other Prelim final, it was Adelaide defeated Fremantle by 14 points. Their nearly impeccable finals record continues. As you said, it's their fourth grand final appearance, a new record in the AFLW. They previously shared it with Brisbane with three appearances. Similar story to their meeting earlier in the season, Adelaide and Fremantle. Very, very similar. The only real difference was that Fremantle actually won the disposal count comfortably in this game versus when Adelaide smashed them in that category earlier in the season. Clearances were really close again. Adelaide uh, once again won the inside 50 count comfortably and had comfortably more marks uh, inside 50 than Fremantle. Interestingly enough, both Adelaide and Fremantle, I found this really curious, both had the same number of scoring shots earlier in the year and on the weekend, 10 to 6 in favor of the Crows. But as opposed to three goals to two, we got six goals to, to four a far you know, more high-scoring game, more entertaining game to watch as a spectator. Um, and for me, once again, fairly simple. Close game like this just comes down to a couple of key categories. The fact that the clearances were almost even, and yet Adelaide had an ocean of more inside 50s, just shows the fact that they are a far more dangerous outfit than Fremantle are, at least this year. And I don't know, I think Fremantle... Perhaps playing that that semi-final match kind of took it out of them a little bit. Um, you could tell that the Crows and the Demons actually really benefited from having that extra week off. Um, and it'd be curious to think about whether or not that would have happened had there been no week off. You know, would would the Crows and Deeds had performed as well as they did? One of the great what-ifs that we will never know. But, Patty, how did you see this match? Yeah, I just feel really bad for Frio because they really look like being premiers in 2020 before the season got kiboshed by that initial burst of COVID and they've been absolutely stuffed by it this season as well. They've they've been up against it and to fall two goal shorts, pretty pretty hard. But yeah, I think Adelaide's intercept game again, just they've done it all season. Sarah Allen, just freakish. I think um one of the, it was Chelsea Randall, I think, led them for intercepts. I think, um, so. I think around 11 or 12, but she, they were great at just sort of curtailing any sort of offensive movement that Frio got when they sort of had that momentum occasionally through the midfield. They they were just able to just pace the game 
so very well. Um, Aaron Phillips just does Aaron Phillips things. I do think that Frio switched off on a couple of occasions. There's probably that, that Aaron Phillips goal that I, was, I think it was Phillips that just cleared the line that they probably could have cleared. There was one where um, where Phillips had a, had a shot at 40. The ball's basically bounced around on the line. No one's, everyone's assuming it's gone through and then up, up walks Alana Woodward, pops it through. Well, so that's just like, yeah. I mean, those are two goals which you probably, which probably shouldn't have happened if you're a Dockers per- person, but it's only right that Adelaide make the, the grand final. They've been the best team in it all year. They've been the best team in the competition since its inception. So fair play to them. Um, although I am barracking for a, uh, for a new premier because we've, it'd be nice to have a bit of a break and it would be nice to see probably that those careers of Pierce and Paxman on it, I think with the premiership. Yeah, no, fair enough, mate. And I'm saying the same thing too. And before you get all up in yourselves, South Australians, we're not just saying that because we're a couple of Victorians, right? On to the grand final. It's Adelaide versus Melbourne, 12 p.m. South Australia time, Adelaide Oval, Saturday, the 9th of April. Adelaide going for a third AFLW Premiership, Melbourne going for their first. And they'll be looking to be the first club to do the AFL slash AFLW Premiership double. Now, all the key stats that we've looked at this year, disposal count, tackle count, marks, goals, they are more or less even with each other, which makes it very difficult to pick a winner. I will say this, Melbourne, more uh, scoring prowess. Adelaide, more difficult to score against. Melbourne in finals, score an average of about 29 points per final. Adelaide score about 44 points per final. Both teams have only lost one final so far in their history. And that was, of course, last year, Melbourne losing the prelim to the Crows and then the Crows losing the grand final to Brisbane. Now, Melbourne this year have played very well outside of Victoria. They've only lost once outside of this state. And that was against the Crows in South Australia. I just think that recently the Crows kind of had Melbourne's measure even though overall their record against each other head-to-head is three and three split. Adelaide's final record, their recent record against Melbourne and their record at the Adelaide Oval, I think it's too good to overlook. I'm tipping the Crows by 14 points. I would not be surprised if Melbourne win though. It should be a ripper. Yeah, I think with Adelaide holding Melbourne goalless for three quarters last time they met at Norwood Oval, doesn't, for me, bode really. I don't know if, how they can turn it around. I think they'll probably be thinking a little bit of ghosts of Richmond in 2017 with the men about the Tigers got done by about 80 points at against Adelaide in their first meeting, and then they won the grand final on the next occasion. Um, I do think that Adelaide's intercepting backline are going to be really hard to get around, though. The form of Bannon is really interesting because she's a very unique player, and the fact that she's a really good size. She can compete in the air, but she's bloody quick. Um, so I think that's a really interesting storyline. Adelaide are going to get Eloise Jones back after she comes back from suspension. I think they might get um, Montana McKinnon or McKenna. I keep I always confuse her surname, the alliterative ones. Um, so they're going to have probably a bit more firepower. I really think Melbourne might do it. I just... I just, you know, it's mixed in his 50th game as coach. Karen Paxman's was last week. 
it's all about storylines. Um, I just think that there's more why not us with the D's. Adelaide have won two in the past. I'm not necessarily concerned about their hunger, especially having lost last year. I'll be desperate to get one. But I do, I don't know, I get a sneaking suspicion that Melbourne might get it by. I'll go four points. I, I like it, mate. I like it a lot. Now on to the AFL men's Carlton and St. Kilda. They are my number one highlight. Two teams who in years gone by would have lost their respective matches quite comfortably on the weekend. Last year, if St. Kilda trailed by almost five goals early in the third quarter, they ended up losing by 10 goals, if not even worse. And so the fact that they were able to turn it around in such a dominant fashion, it reminded me of Melbourne in the grand final against the Dogs, trailing by three goals, end up winning by 12. It was almost that same level of domination. And Carlton, they are now good enough where they can still get a, they can get away now with playing only two or two and a half quarters of consistently good football and then falling away for the rest of it. They are good enough. They are solid enough in defense. Man, that last three minutes was amazing. Seemed to like sort of how Kripper played. Jacob Wiedering, that last mark he took with 40 seconds to go, running back with the flight of the ball on the 50-meter arc. Unbelievable. These blues are maturing at, at the speed of light before our eyes, and it's amazing to see. My second highlight has got to be close and unpredictable games that until the last quarter, midway through the last quarter even for some of them, and for some of them after the final siren, we have no idea who's going to win. Bulldogs v. Sydney. Granted, the Dogs probably should have put the Swans away a lot earlier than they did, but still, that was up in the air until Bont kicked the final goal. Crows and Port Adelaide, Jordan Dawson. That hurt as a Swamp supporter, but it must have hurt even more as a Port supporter, knowing that he could have played for Port Adelaide. Great comeback by Geelong against Collingwood. And Carlton Hawthorne, what a ripper finish that was. And until three-quarter time, Richmond St. Kilda was great. That first quarter was electrifying. Already this year, we have had a few contenders for game of the season that I think will still be contenders by the end of the season, no matter what happens, that's how good they have been. In 2021, we saw at least one, if not multiple blockbusters and nail biters every single weekend. And it's that trend has continued into 2022. And I'm so happy for it. What about you, Patty? What were your top two highlights? Yeah, that's mean, that Collingwood Geelong game is just dizzying I'll, I'll, I'll probably double down on your unpredictable one because that again the dog swans game like it's i think up to halftime it was an absolute snooze fest and then it really kicked into gear but it is great to see that you know you can have these two teams that can be really exciting to watch when they're not playing each other and then have to sort of figure their way around their opponent when they come up against each other so that was yeah really really like engrossing game of football, despite the copious skill errors, I think as both teams were just sort of going, oh, what do we do here? Uh, that Collingwood Geelong game is absolutely bloody ridiculous. I love watching this Collingwood team. It's so much fun. It's just a group of 21-year-olds who've all just piled off the Heidelberg line and they, they are just having so much fun. 
um, led by your sort of older crowd of, of Penderbury at Jamie Elliott. We can lump into that, that experience of Brody Grundy. Um, I don't really want to talk at length about Jordan Ngoi for obvious reasons, um, but you can't deny his footballing ability, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I, I, for one was really, I really enjoyed watching Jack Ginevan just be every small forward that's ever existed and just get in people's heads all the time with his really horrific haircut, but it, it, it's just, it's spunk. It's awesome to watch Collingwood, Nick Dacos, Josh Dacos, Ollie Henry's outstanding, Isaac Quainor's outstanding. Um, but occasionally when you get that young team full of bravado and brashness, they do tend to fall apart in about half an hour. And that's kind of what happened. You could sort of see that coming with Geelong for a while away. Collingwood ran out of legs. Geelong kicked a couple goals and you thought, here we go. Jeremy Cameron, Tom Hawkins, thanks for coming. So great game of footy. So much fun to watch um, for a completely different reason than the dog swans, which is great. And then Adelaide put Adelaide again. Like, I mean, I wasn't the only one Googling who is Lachlan Gallant um, after he's kicked four. Elliot Himmelberg comes alive um, and then Jordan Dawson just to cap it off with the sort of Nassim Shah late in the day and Raw Pindi reverse swing. Everyone's been using the Mitchell Stark analogy. I'm going to go more obscure. Um, but that, yeah, outstanding. How good is that? Um, second highlight, again, look, as a Richmond supporter, it does pay me to say this, but you have to acknowledge that Max King is just box office because – that's two that's a, in a fortnight he has won Fremantle two games that they again as you said would have Thank lost us. oh yeah pardon me they, they beat Fremantle um so against the Dockers in Richmond he has just turned it on in about 40 minutes 30 minutes less and won his footy club the game um winks I do think against the Tigers that Dylan Grimes injury and Damien Hardwick's bizarre refusal not to put Noah Bolter back when that happened has a lot to do with that but he is a freak king. Um, and there's a great question that I'd love to ask, maybe not for this podcast, but if you had to pick between Aaron Norton and Max King for the next 10 years, it's a really interesting discussion because he, you know, St Kilda are every chance of being zero and three, and they probably should be. Um, and the reason they're not is because of their new number 12. He is a generation, generational player in the making if they can just keep his body right and if they can just build a good list around him. Hmm. That's a that's a really tricky question. I feel like that's going to be the next Matthew Pavlich versus Nick Rewalt discussion. Um, hopefully with a bit more premiership success than Rewalt or Pavlich ever had. But uh, I, I guess it depends on whether or not you're talking about those players coming to a team with other scoring threats around them or where they're the only scoring threat. Because I'm not sure if you put Norton in a forward line that, aside from King, is as dysfunctional as St Kilda's are, that he would be able to do what he's doing. So, I don't know. It's tricky. It's a good question. It's a good question. And perhaps um, perhaps that will be one for a future podcast. Now, Patty, what were your top two lowlights? I suspect I know what one of them is going to be. Uh, yeah. Um, I'll get the one that isn't Richmond out of the way first. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's a really difficult balance to strike when we're talking about rebuilding teams and how much should they be losing by. Um, but I think North Melbourne have been disappointing. You can't go out over the off season 
and have a bit of a buying spree and pick up, you know, in consecutive years and pick up guys like Stevenson, Cal Coleman Jones, Hugh Greenwood, and then just not rock up. Brisbane are probably one of the top three teams in the comp, to be fair. But yeah, I think North on the whole, like they they played, they were pretty poor against Hawthorne in round one. Hawthorne, I think, probably a bit inflated at the start of the year, to be honest. But then against West Coast, who pretty much had a WAFL, uh, like as in West, West Aussie AFL team, in they were pretty average again, even in winning that one. And then they just did not turn up at the Gabba. Um, that was pretty much unwatchable, that game, because of how one-sided it was. So, yeah, they, they need a bit of a lift. Um, it's not quite – it's not a massive issue, but you can't really be losing by 100-plus points in round three, really, when you're – because I think their list is a lot better necessarily than that. They've got some young players, sure, but 100 points is unconscionable. It does concern me a little bit that they've – made some recruiting decisions like getting Jacob Edwards and Cal Coleman Jones in the mid-season draft and in the trade period and then proceeded to, well, they've admitted Coleman Jones after one game. Jacob Edwards looks nowhere near like playing because they won't move on Goldstein. Um, Tristan Jerry is doing an outstanding job. Maybe they didn't see that coming, but I just don't get why you would go and recruit those tools yet continue playing Goldstein. Even, like I understand as a mentorship thing, but he's not starting ruck anymore. Um, he shouldn't be playing every game. You should be trying to focus on develop. That's just my take. Mm. Second low light. Um, Richmond's midfield is just a bit vomit at the moment. Um, they've done this sort of approach where they're trying, I suppose with Prestia and Martin now, it doesn't really make it too easy. Um, but you could almost, I think you could see the moment where they, the next era of Richmond sort of is ushered itself in, which is where St Kilda strung a couple goals together. The Tigers needed a stop. They needed to, to stop the bleeding a little bit. They just needed to hold ground for five minutes or kick a goal off their own. Um, so they put Cochin and Edwards in there um, instead of the likes of uh, Thompson Dow and Jack Graham. And they were worse with Cochin and Edwards in there. And that's not really those players' fault because they're in their 30s now and they've played over, I think, over 250 games apiece. They are just a bit cooked. They're just not the players they were anymore. And Jay Gresham, Jack Steele went through them like a knife through butter. Brad Crouch was made to look like Hercules. So... I think the Tigers, I think the defense is, a half back line is great. I think their forwards have good potential. I reckon they've got some bookends in Gidkiss and Bolter. But the lack of a next up midfielder is really alarming now. So no Martin, no Prestia. They get probably Prestia back this week. But I reckon they would have thought that one of Jack Graham, Jack Ross, Riley Collier, Dawkins would have been able to step up by now. And it hasn't quite happened yet. So there looks to be, I don't think Richmond had finished and rebuilding now. I think there's going to be a bit of a two-year lag between the Cochin and Edwards great sort of fall off, falling off a cliff, and then the next guys taking up the slack. So to concede as many goals as they did straight, to concede so many centre clearances out the front of the contest and to basically not give your forwards a chance is pretty indicting especially when they it's done that against Carlton to a pretty strong Carlton midfield. But now the Saints really, 
I mean, I worry what happens to them next week against the Bulldogs if if they let Bontempelli, Trelaw, McRae, Dunkley, Liberatore run through them because that's going to be ugly. And imagine imagine Anzac Day Eve when you play against Petrarca, Oliver. Yeah. It's it's all it's all well and good to have a great defense, and I really think that Nathan Broad and Jaden Short, are, and to a lesser extent Dan Rioli, are the, the main pieces holding Richmond from completely getting you know 80, 80 70 point turnarounds instead of the current sort of ten goal nine goal turnaround, um, because their their halfbacks are under so much pressure and they're actually doing really well. They just don't seem to really have the next midfielder in mind it's not clearly not Shea Bolton because he's more of a forward they haven't they've got Liam Baker sitting right there they could be using him but they're not so that's he's probably not not ready to do it they can't they don't have that next midfielder they don't have someone you know look you look at another club and go look at how Tom Green and James Rowbottom are going GWS and Sydney respectively like those guys are stepping up magnificently Chad Warner's another one he wasn't as good on Thursday night but he's improved you just want something like that from the youngsters and they just don't quite have it so you can't win games without a, a, a good midfield Richmond's midfield is a bit it's just one paced and unfortunately not gonna I don't really think they can it's gonna be hard to make the finals with that midfield um, and it's gonna be borderline impossible to make any noise in September. That is the reason why we love having him on the podcast, dear listener. Well, one of the reasons why he is one of the very few Richmond supporters that you will find who gives an unbiased perspective every single time. Now, on to my top two lowlights. I, I agree with you. One of them has to be North Melbourne. It, the tone was set very early in the game. 20 seconds in, Joey Danaher gets the ball. 70, 70 meters out or so. And there are three North Melbourne players in front of him. So what does he do? He runs off the mark, umpire calls play on. He runs around them, gets within about 55 or so and kicks the first goal of the game. And all three of those North Melbourne players were either standing still or walking towards Joey Danaher. I do not care what your list demographic is like in terms of age or game experience. You are 30 seconds in to the third game of the season. Scores are currently 0-0. You are playing away and everyone knows that when you are playing interstate especially, you need to take the noise factor away from the home ground. And instead, what do they do? They walk after Joey Danaher. It was like it was like what Ross Lyon said back when he was coaching Fremantle round one 2016 when the dogs beat him by almost 11 goals. It was like a light Sunday stroll. It was like a nice Saturday night walk in the park. And that's why Brisbane kicked 25 goals against them. Consider this. They kicked 25 goals Brisbane and won by 108 points despite... Charlie Cameron kicking two goals, six. And despite Cam Rayner kicking three behinds from, from three scoring shots, imagine, imagine if Cam Rayner kicked at least two goals and if Charlie Cameron, instead of just two goals, kicked four or five or six. 
imagine how much worse you are at that point looking at quite possibly the worst loss in North Melbourne history. And it's so deflating for North Melbourne. The fact that they had players improve so much in the second half of last season after a really tough start to the year. You know, they had that big loss against the Dogs by over 100 points and they showed so much improvement. They beat the Eagles in Perth for crying out loud. And yet three games into this year, it's like we're back on we're back at square one with North Melbourne, exactly to the same point as last season, almost to the day that they lost to the Dogs by 120 points or so. That's what's disappointing. It doesn't matter what your list demographics is. What they showed was a lack of effort and a lack of care. Now, my other low light, this one might be a bit weird. I like the Friday night doubleheader. I like it. I like it a lot, right? The NRL does it very successfully. However, the people of South Australia, the good people of South Australia, have been crying out for a Friday night showdown, and the AFL finally gives it to them. However, there is a game in Victoria on at the same time. Now, I do not subscribe to the theory on social media that the AFL did this on purpose to prevent South Australia from getting a standalone showdown. However, I absolutely think that the showdown deserves a standalone Friday night slot. So no other game is distracting from it. The eyes of the nation are on it because eight out of 10 times, it's a great game of football. And compare that to the game we got in Victoria. Yeah, Dees got off to a hot start. Bombers came back a bit. Ed Lang didn't kick goal of the year. But aside from that, it wasn't really, there was no kind of sparkle to it. Compare that to the showdown goal after the siren. Both teams scored over 90 points. What more do you want on a Friday night game? AFL, if you're listening to this, please schedule the next showdown on a Friday night by itself. That's all you got to do. Just put it on a standalone Friday night game. Now onto the player that surprised us the most during the weekend. And for me, it's got to be Shannon Hearn. Slightly concerning for West Coast that he is still their best player and most consistent player, but he's still providing the goods down back year after year, exactly like he has done for the last 15 seasons. Leading disposal winner on the ground with 27 touches, 12 marks, later tackle, I mean, goodness gracious me, despite that, West Coast still lost by almost a record margin in the Derby. Imagine if he wasn't playing. He's had 69 disposals this season, 23 disposals per game, equal 53rd in the competition, equal 7th for marks this year with 23 in total, 7.66 marks per game. That is insanely good for someone who is his age. And everyone talks about David Mundy as the, as the one from out West who is, you know, defying father time. But Shannon Hearn deserves to be in that conversation too. He is phenomenal. How about you, Patty? Which player surprised you the most from the weekend? Well, I'm going to go as a bit of a left field one, but it's a guy who I've been watching a little bit and you won't really know much. I don't imagine many people will know much about this bloke. Dylan Moore, number 13 from Hawthorne. Now, the reason I'm saying number 13 from Hawthorne is that the amount of times I've seen people go, oh, Hanrahan. Hanrahan was delisted last year. Dylan Moore is what number 13. He's actually Hawthorne is for some reason. I can't get my head around it that they're three and zero, that they're two and one, and that they got within a point of Carlton after being seven goals down. 
Um, and a lot of it has to do with how they've got this sort of side of clicking. If I said to you about a small forward, a guy who's named in the forward pocket every week, who is pretty much averaging 19 disposals a game, a tick under two goals a game, about three, three tackles a game and about nine marks per game. You'd be thinking, well, you know, Zach Bailey's looking really good in the midfield. Shea Bolton's doing really well this year. Dylan Moore has just blossomed into this dynamic lead up forward pocket, half forward, same this sort of like niche Lockie Schultz exists within as well for Fremantle. And he's one of their more important players. I was talking to a Hawthorne supporter who described him as a sort of um, farmer's market, Kane Lambert. And I really like that comparison because he's got this brilliant lead up ability. He can kick goals. He's very got very active hands, takes a lot of marks for a guy who's 176 centimetres tall. And at 22 years of age, he's just taken off. Um, and I really want to just give him a, give him a bit of a shout out because he's a, he basically played pre, pretty much every game for, for Hawthorne last year. He might have missed a couple. Um, and on a few occasions had multiple goals. He kicked three goals twice. He kicked four, uh, four goals against the Giants in their 18-point win where he was really impressive. But I think he's been really a bit of a breakout player this year in in a year where there hasn't been as many small forwards impressing as we'd have thought preseason. Cody Waitman and Cozzy Pickett haven't quite made that massive step yet. Shea Bolton's pretty good. Zach Bailey and Cam Rayner haven't also leapt up. It's been more about a guy like Isaac Heaney um, and, you know, surprising key forwards, like sort of, obviously we talked about Max King, but also Mitch Lewis. But I'm trying to track this Hawthorne risk Surgeons, where they're all of a sudden maybe not a finals team necessarily, but certain a team, certainly a team that can mix it with the best of them and can drub Port Adelaide on their home deck. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Moore because 21 touches, nine marks, two goals, one, um, and five inside 50s from a guy named in the forward pocket is an outstanding performance and he's been doing it week in, week out. Um, and I actually think that if I were to pick an all Australian team at the moment, I wouldn't necessarily have more in it, but he's in the squad. Um, and he's certainly a, a player who I think Sam Mitchell's really developed and somehow managed to turn a, a guy who wasn't really locked into the squad last year into a really important player in their structure. For, for a guy who was, went at pick 67 in 2017, it's, it's great to see someone like this succeed. Third point, mate. Third point. Now we get on to the talking points of the round normally there are four however this week we will discuss five of them just for you dear listener because we love you so much now there are some teams who are really really struggling at this point in the year that i don't think we were expecting to struggle one of them is absolutely port adelaide for the first time since the dark 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 days of 2011 a year where they lost to hawthorne by over uh, by 165 points and the week before that, lost to Collingwood by 138 and scored their lowest ever score in their history. In a year where they only avoided the wooden spoon, thanks to beating Melbourne in the final round at the Adelaide Oval. And a year before, Matthew Primus as head coach was shown the door. In a year where they lost to the Gold Coast, they were the first team to lose to the Gold Coast. Do you remember that? They were up by 40 points in that game, Port Adelaide, and they lost. That was how That's bad they were. Siren, I remember. That was how bad they were. The Hoff couldn't get it done. Zero and three. Now, there's a lot of anger 
Plum Port Adelaide supporters, and quite rightfully so. Kane Corns claims that the talk surrounding Ken Hinckley is quote-unquote ridiculous. It might not be in the exact word he used, but that was around that synonym for ridiculous anyways. I want to ask you, is Kane right? Or is there legitimate concern for Ken Hinckley's job? I think Port Adelaide are just one of those teams that, yeah, it's difficult. I don't know, maybe it's it's a little bit like an NBA situation with Ken Hinckley. He's been there for 10 years. They, If they don't make the finals this year, he's probably got to be gone. They've probably end his contract and go, look, that was, we've had a great journey to, together, Ken, but you, you clearly can't take us much further. I can't see Port Adelaide sacking him halfway through the year. I just don't, doesn't, don't think it makes sense, and I think it is a bit premature. Um, there should be the same, I think, with Leon Cameron. There should be that, that conversation happening probably behind closed doors and sort of predicated for later in the season. But, yeah, I, I don't fully agree, agree with Kane Corns that it's ridiculous because if you start 0-3 and three and you get smacked on your home deck by Hawthorne and then lose to Adelaide, teams that we expected to finish in the bottom four this year, I don't know really about that for Port. That's a bit grim. Yes, they have no Dixon, no Fantasia, no Rosie. Actually, no, Rosie is playing, pardon me. No Aaliyah Aaliyah. No Aaliyah Aaliyah. But you know, a lot of teams have injury issues and injuries are a permanent thing. They're always going to happen to you. And Todd Marshall kicked five goals over the weekend. You know, then the team you lost to, Port Adelaide, had, you know, Lockie Gallant come in and kick four. Elliot Himmelberg came, comes in after having a pretty unstable position and kicks three. So that is that really, so, oh, you know, injuries will be better when they all come back. It's not going to cut it. So... I can't see them moving on it during the season. I just, I do think though that it might be end of the road for Ken if Port don't really bat, you know, you know, stay at the same level they were last year. And I don't think that's very likely. So let's put this discussion away until the bye and then see where we're at. I don't think that Port Adelaide will be able to keep the discussion until the bye if they do not grab a win early in the year. And looking at their fixture, they are a chance to start the season zero and six, or even worse, right? And it's getting to that 10-year 10, 10 mark, right? That 10-year mark where some coaches like Brad Scott, unsuccessful, couple of underwhelming years, bad start to 2019, off you go. Other coaches don't even get the chance to get to 10 years. Oh, sorry, they do get to 10 years. But again, it's that same kind of thing, Nathan Buckley great example came very close and Collingwood under Nathan Buckley during their best were arguably in a much better uh were much better teams than Port Adelaide were because you know Collingwood played in a grand final for Grand Adelaide should have played in the 2019 grand final if it wasn't for that loss to the Giants in the prelim by just three points Ken Hinckley I think I agree with you it, it doesn't make sense to to drop him to sack him midway through the year, it almost never works out because, you know, it causes instability. All it does is just cause havoc in organisations and players, why would they want to play at a club where there's no certainty about who the head coach is going to be? However, 
I'm saying that when they are zero and three. If they are zero and six, or even worse than that, then I reckon this seat under Ken's backside is going to get extremely hot. Extremely hot. Think of it kind of like Pompeii at the moment, right? Volcano showed signs of erupting, showed signs of erupting. And yet the people of Pompeii, they had no idea what was going on. So they went about their business and all of a sudden, boom, all that heat and all that lava and the pyrocastic flow, major, major, major disaster. Well, the volcano at Port Adelaide is just starting to rumble. There's signs of an eruption coming. And the only thing that is going to quench the mountain is going to be getting winds. And I don't see a wind coming anytime soon. So I agree with you. I don't think the talk is ridiculous. But I think perhaps it's a little bit premature just because they are only zero and three. Just wait a few weeks, though. Another team that has struggled early in the year, and unlike Port Adelaide, this is mostly for reasons out of their control. The West Coast Eagles, they have dealt with a plague the likes the world hasn't seen since Egypt got visited by the plague of locusts in the Bible. At least I think it was a plague of locusts. I don't know. I've never read the Bible before. I think it was the plague of locusts. Um, Patty, have you read the Bible? Um, no. <laughs> no. Me no. neither. Me Not neither. Me neither. That's all right. It was a plague of something. Well, West Coast are dealing with their own current plague outbreak at the moment, and it is wiping them, devoiding them of players. They've had to resort to so many WAFL players. It's almost like they are the East Fremantle football team or the Peel Thunder football team, not the West Coast Eagles. I do want to ask you, though, can their early season woes solely be blamed on COVID or injuries, or are there legitimate reasons to think that the rot has well and truly set in and will not get better once players come back. Oh yeah, no, they're um. I th- I think we've known that about West Coast for a little while. Like they, yeah, they didn't really replenish their list too well. Obviously, you know, falling off a cliff after two thousand nineteen didn't have just a, you know, like so they were bombed out in twenty twenty. Didn't make the finals in twenty twenty one. Like yeah, I think they're sort of they didn't really. It's sort of the situation that Richmond are sort of semi-looking at the moment where their young players just haven't been able to top it up. Um, but Richmond did, I suppose, get stuff that, you know, a bit out of Bolter, Graham, Bolton, um, guys like Ralph Smith and Dow, I suppose. West Coast, you know, Oscar Allen, yeah. Like Jermaine Jones looks all right. Liam Ryan, Willie Rioli, now he's back. They're relying so heavily on McGovern and Hearn to keep things afloat. Yes, they've got pretty much no players in their list that are fit or you know, not not get got COVID or isolating because of COVID. Yeah, I I think West Coast are probably in a bit of a purgatory stage. But, you know, I think there's enough talent on that list to sort of keep it from entirely bottoming out with guys like Gaff and Shuey, Yo, Kelly, the aforementioned McGovern and, um, and Hearn combo I mean, when they'll get Dom Sheed back you know having Kennedy and Darling if now that he's I suppose vaccinated Oscar Allen as I mentioned um 
but yeah, I think the rot has set in. I think the rot set in in 2020 in their initial sort of hub crisis. Oh, I forgot to mention Nick Nananui as well on that list. Um, and it's sort of just continuing on. So they need to use this year and this COVID catastrophe to find some players. Maybe maybe they have, I suppose, potentially in guys like Xavier O'Neill and Luke Foley, but not potentially, not as high talent of player as other clubs have discovered. Uh, talking about Dylan Moore a couple of minutes ago, that's exactly the player that... West Coast would love to just pop up. Um, they'd love to see that progression of a guy like Zach Langdon, for instance. Um, but it's not probably not going to happen with West Coast. So I think they'll just have to slowly rebuild their list. They might get a few homecoming players. And Petrovsky Sitton was one last season. I'd be, you know, banging the door down on Tim English and Luke Jackson's manager um, and seeing if they were interested in returning home. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes with West Coast. I just I don't think they're very relevant if we're talking about finals. Um, and I think that's probably been the case with, with or without COVID. Hear that, West Coast? You're not relevant anymore. Ouch. Ouch. That has got to hurt. I feel... No, I, I do agree with you, though. West Coast, for me, there were, there were really promising signs the first two weeks. Even though they lost, they showed effort. They showed heart. You know, you could... As a West Coast supporter, you could be... You could, you could take a lot of solace in their performance against Gold Coast and in a performance against North Melbourne. You know, North Melbourne were expecting to beat them comfortably and yet West Coast stayed in it, stayed in it, stayed in it right till the very end. But then against Fremantle, a team missing their best player in that five due to injury and missing their head coach due to COVID protocols. They were bad. They were bad. Despite the fact that they had players coming back, so it wasn't like they were dealing with the same level of problem and level of players missing from the best 22 as they were the week before. They still had players coming back in. And yet they were, that was, that was probably the worst West Coast performance since early 2019 when they had, you know, that early, early premiership hangover um, situation there early in 2019. I do think that the rot has well and truly set in. And I find it alarming, the fact that the supporters and to a lesser extent, the club seem to be supporting this idea of, oh, it's because we've got all these players out. And yeah, sure, the, you know, Adam Simpson trying to say, don't, you know, don't, don't blame the players being out. But that's just the vibe that you get from the club. And that's a dangerous vibe to have. Because all clubs deal with injuries. Richmond in early 2019 had an injury list the length of the Nile. And yet they still got it together and they still dominated that season, won the premiership, obviously. So for me, it's not an excuse for playing poorly. And there were signs there that their best is well and truly behind them. Because truthfully, some of their best players in that game, McGovern, Kennedy, looked like they pulled up pretty sore. And that's a problem when you rely on players when they get to a certain age. They get injured. So it's going to be tricky for West Coast. I, I, I fear for them, even when their players come back. Now, on to the Tigers. I'll let you briefly touch on this because you mentioned it earlier. Is Richmond's dynasty over? 
Are they set for another September on the sidelines or are we overreacting again? 2019, they started the year one and two, couple of bad losses early on. Everyone jumped off the bandwagon. Dustin Martin flicked off someone in the crowd and won a premiership. Yeah. I might have missed I think you uh, might have, maybe if you asked me a question about 10 seconds ago, I might have missed it because I had a bit of internet dodginess, but we're back in the room. It's all good. There we um, go. Yeah. I I don't know if it's a dynasty over. I the, the thing I think about is Geelong in 2015, I think it was, or 14, yeah. 15. Um, yeah, it was the year before the year that the last year that Steve Johnson played. So it would have been 2014, I think. But I just like watching Richmond. There's there's clearly a good forward line set up in the wings. There's clearly a good defensive setup. They've got good depth there. It's the issue is the midfield. Um, and once that gets amended, maybe they go out and get a Tom Green over the off season whose grandfather played at Richmond. I reckon they would be all over Tom Green. Um, and I think his brother plays, I think for GWA, I think he did, did was trialing at Richmond and played for some Richmond VFL games. Um, so I think the Richmond issue is fixable. I just do not, I just see them probably obviously spending last year out of the eight. I think this year they're probably in that sort of Collingwood, Fremantle, St Kilda, amalgamation sort of from sixth to 12th on the ladder. And I think they're probably towards the bottom end of that sort of list. But I do think that if they are probably a guy like, one of their one of their young two one or two of their younger mids becoming very solid options, and that's like out of Dow, Collier, Dawkins, Ross, Will Martin, Tyler Sonzi, um, and probably making a really shrewd trade choice um, away from being back in at sort of Geelong area where they're sort of consistently contending for that top six position on the ladder. So I'm reluctant to say dynasty over because I do think there's every chance that we see a sort of response within the next two years that sees them back up. But I really think it's hard yards to win a flag in the next two years. So I think it's just, it's not a Richmond aren't going to completely collapse and fall in a hole like West coast probably have, but they, they are going to sort of slide down, slide out of the eight for at least, at least the last year, definitely last year, obviously, probably this year and maybe next year as well. Yeah, no, that is fair enough, Patty. Only time will tell whether or not Richmond stick to their time-honored tradition of eating their own. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed for Richmond supporters that they do not do that. Now, the most, uh, I guess, kind of prolific trend in the 2022 season so far carried on from the 2021 grand final, momentum, massive momentum shifts one way and then the other. Some teams are becoming masters in momentum. St Kilda coming from behind the first three games and winning round two and three quite comfortably, almost doing the same in round one. Carlton doing that against Richmond in round one. There are some teams who deal really well with it, other teams who struggle with it. But I want to ask you, Patty, do you think that that is a trend that is here to stay for the rest of the year? And if so, should coaches be planning to counteract these momentum swings or should they be planning to adapt their games to them? Yeah, look, 
coaches surely will be aware because we have a six 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 system now. Um, we have for a couple of years. So it's just about conditioning. I think we're seeing, especially early on, um, some teams are better, better conditioned than others. Certainly we saw that with Collingwood. They ran out of legs in that last quarter. They went for that burst and then they didn't really have anything left in the tank. Um, so no, I think it's just part of the game it, as, as we see every year, it's just how you respond. Um, with game day coaching. I think for instance, we might see some more swing swing men pop up this year. Uh, the likes of Tim Membry for St Kilda, he does it really well. Noah Bolter for Richmond, who they decided not to use in the back half. Again, I want to double down on that. They didn't put the most athletic player who's played on Max King before on Max King when Max King's opponent did a hamstring. Damien, Listen, but no, sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> I could talk about oh, him. So, yeah, I think I, I do think the momentum swings are probably more significant this year, but coaches, coaches will respond to that in kind. And I think we'll see the, some more dynamic co- game day coaching. I think we'll see guys like Paddy Cripps probably puts a full forward on occasion, um, probably a little bit more often. Same with Marcus Bonapelli. I think we'll see more more ruckman thrown behind the ball to try and get those big intercept marks when a team's under pressure. Um, and I, but I, for one, I, I think the standard of footy generally this year has been really good. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's a sort of everyone feeling like maybe we're emerging from the pandemic a little bit um, and being super excited about that, the players especially. But yeah, I've really loved it. Even though the Tigers are no, uh, not no, struggling, I am really liking this season. Oh man. No, look, I think I think I agree with you. Coaches will adapt to this. At least the good ones will adapt to it. Um, and no offense, Patty, but I can't really see Damien Hardwick adapting to it anytime soon because his game plan seems to be plan A. And if that doesn't work, stick with plan A, because surely it will work sometime. But you look at the coaches like Simon Goodwin. Luke Beveridge, Chris Fagan, some of the best in the competition, and they will eventually adapt to that. I just wonder, though, I kind of like it. I kind of like this momentum football. I kind of like the fact that it's created this unpredictable level of football where start of the third quarter, a team is down by five goals. They can end up winning by 50 points. Like, imagine saying that three years ago before the pandemic started back in 2019. That would be unthinkable if you were up by five goals early in the third quarter, chances were you were going to win. Or if you were going to lose, then you would lose by like a point or two points. And back then that would have been a huge turnaround. But turnarounds like this, it's exciting stuff. And it's really, really, really engrossing and really engaging. And I just, I love it. I love it so much. I really hope that it's here to stay. Um, You know, as long as Essendon gets better, then I'll be very happy if it stays. I think it's one of the best rule changes the AFL has made recently. And I know that they can change the rule changes, but I do like the 666 for that reason. You know, no matter how far you are down by, every single set of bounce is exactly, you know, an even even opportunity for both teams involved. Now, uh, speaking of people being excited out, the you know, pandemic coming out of it, big crowds, they've been lacking so far this season. However... Sunday afternoon football, a little bit of a rainy day. Sunday, a little bit of grave time, grave um, graveyard time slot. Carlton versus Hawthorne, 66,000 people showed up. So I want to ask you, Patty, 
was that a one-off because it was two big Victorian clubs doing well? Or is it a sign that people are starting to come back to the football like they did before? Yeah, I think maybe both can be true. Uh, obviously, both teams undefeated. Everyone was getting there. I think the Sunday one ten time slots and really quite a little bit more friendly I think to younger families because generally your junior footy starts at about 10 o'clock it's over by then um so I think it's more like a family day out and you know who wouldn't want to see footy on that really quite nice Sunday actually um yeah I'm I think a lot of people are probably I suppose getting into grounds is a bit easier these days now having gone only actually been to the been to an AFL game once because of work but it's actually you just scan your way you just scan your the front thing or you can just show off your your vac certificate at the front gate and then you may as well be back in 2019 um the only difference would be the the, the workers occasionally wearing are uh, wearing masks and you and you realize you're in a pandemic football and uh, long, long queues at the end and the long queues i feel like that's a staffing issue um, because they are, they're using club accounts at the moment to, to advertise for hospitality staff. I feel like that's a, not a football issue. I feel like that's a different one for a different podcast. But, um, yeah, no, I think people are really elated to now be going back to the football. It's, it's really got Melbourne feeling like a footy town again, which is great. There's no longer this sort of will, will they or won't they about COVID. There's, well, there's less so of a will they or won't they. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, no, stupidly excited um, at the moment to, to see footy thriving and seeing people enjoying days spent uh, watching 44 people run around a leather sort of package of air. It's fantastic. Mate, I am excited. I reckon the crowds are back. The crowds are back. I'm not sure the crowds are responding to Thursday night football like they were before, which might, might, depending on... And I've no idea what the TV viewership is like, but if, if, if people aren't watching Thursday night football like they were before and they're not going to Thursday night football games, then Thursday night might be good as dead in the AFL, which I think is a shame because I kind of like Thursday night football. But it's so exciting to see over 60,000 people, almost 70,000 people at DMCG. It's, it's glorious. It's fantastic. And compare that to the poor crowd on Friday night football. I know the Bombers aren't doing well, but geez, only 44,000 people showed up. That is abysmal. But I think people are slowly starting to come back to the football. It helps the fact that two big Victorian clubs were playing. So I think it's good for the AFL to have these big Victorian clubs, Collingwood, Carlton, Hawthorne, playing good football again. Because, you know, in years gone by, it was Richmond, and then before that it was Hawthorne, and before that it was Geelong, and a little bit of Collingwood holding up the big Victorian crowds because they were doing well now we're having multiple multiple victorian teams doing well and hopefully that means we get more crowds of 60,000 70,000 people at the mcg because i've missed those big crowds i've missed those big crowds i don't know about you patty but i've missed big crowds at the mcg now on to a mammoth i keep saying mammoth hey patty what's the synonym for mammoth enormous there we go thank you an enormous weekend of football featuring gargantuan there's another one matchups it starts off with an intriguing thursday night clash the three and oh d's versus the oh and three 
power at the Adelaide Oval. I think this is quite possibly the most straightforward matchup of the weekend. I think Melbourne by 29 points, even when Port Adelaide were doing well last year and Melbourne played them at the Adelaide Oval, I remember thinking that that game was going to be potentially tricky. Dees won easily. Now Port Adelaide are struggling. They've got injury problems and form problems. Melbourne, they're continuing where they left off last season. I think the Dees are going to win. I'll be gobsmacked if Port grabbed this. Yeah, I think the Ds will win this pretty pretty normally. They just look like a team that just know exactly how good they are and exactly how hard they have to work to win a game. And it's just working. I'd love to be a D supporter because in every one of these three games, they just go, yep, we know what we need to do. Switch it on. No worries. We'll take the four points. And I think they'll pretty much do the same to Port Adelaide uh, on Thursday night. On to, now this is quite possibly the biggest game of the season so far. Geelong versus Brisbane at GMHBA Stadium, Friday night football. Paddy, the last time these two teams played, there was the worst missed free kick I have ever seen in my entire life. The worst, I nearly threw my shoe out the window. I was that mad and I'm not even a Brisbane supporter. I want to ask you, Paddy. Can the Lions get revenge? Yep, and they they will. Um, yeah, Brisbane are a better team than Geelong this year, I think. I think Geelong's record gets... I think people's opinion on Geelong gets inflated a little bit so far this season because of the... Uh, the Essendon game? Because of the Essendon game and also because of the, the, the level of the comeback um, last week against Collingwood. I yeah, I think Brisbane are really exciting, and I think they they've done nothing so far that has disproven this theory that they're going to be. This is the year they jump up. This is the the year that they're. I hate this term, but their premiership window is at its widest. Um, I think that this is the game where Brisbane go. Hey, look, we know we've beaten Port. You know, we did that pretty easily. We we've drubbed North Melbourne last week. I can't. We you know we took care of Essendon after they had a big start. This is the game where Brisbane go, hey, no, we're really good. You've forgotten about us. Um, I think they win and they probably win reasonably. They keep Geelong at arm's length and probably win it by 28 points. Yeah, I am tipping Brisbane in this one too. I'm tipping a close one though. Looking at all the statistics, they are very, very close to each other. But Brisbane, however, have been better at taking more marks on average, high disposal efficiency on average, and more contested disposals than Geelong on average this year. Geelong love to control the ball, but Brisbane love to control the ball more. So I feel like Geelong are going to have to rely on their one, their run game and try to you know outrun, outgun the Lions, and I just can't see that. I think Geelong are too old for that. We saw last September Port Adelaide and especially Melbourne carve the Cats to pieces because Geelong aren't fast enough and they haven't gotten any younger. I think Brisbane this year, they're going to grab their revenge win. Consider this, Geelong dominated in a lot of key stats last year against Brisbane and Geelong, and yet still should have lost that game if it wasn't for that abhorrent umpiring. And then Brisbane at the Gabba later in the season, dominated by seven goals. I think Brisbane will win in one of the games of the year, it will be by six points. And just for a little bit of revenge, I would love it if it was a controversial goal. Would absolutely love it if it was a controversial goal and all the Geelong supporters lose their absolute minds. It would be glorious. On to Saturday, 
afternoon football. This game will probably not be so glorious. It's Sydney versus North Melbourne at the SCG. Uh, I said before that Melbourne Port Adelaide was probably the most straightforward tip of the weekend. I, I lied. This one is probably the most straightforward one. Swans by 40 points. I don't think I have to explain myself much, do I? No, I don't think so. Patty? No, move on. Next one. <laughs> How much? What margin are you tipping, mate? Uh, let's go north to save some face. 55 points. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. So, God, save some face. 55 points. Goodness gracious me. Collingwood versus West Coast at Marvel Stadium. Patty, this one is intriguing. West Coast should be getting some players back, but Collingwood are in red-hot form. And they're playing in Melbourne. If they were playing in Perth, I would tip the Eagles. This one, I'm not too sure. Who are you going for in this one? Yeah, I have this little inkling sensation at the back of my neck that's telling me that West Coast will win it. But um, I don't really want to believe it. I think the one thing I worry about, I suppose, with Collingwood is I don't really see how they're going. Like, they've got 100 points, I think, in every game they've played so far this year, which amazes me because I really don't think that their forward line options are that excellent um i think west coast with through mcgovern and her like mitch Mitch, jeremy mcgovern by the way shout out to him he's been outstanding in a pretty decimated west coast outfit well done on playing good football well done on not getting COVID as well mate um but because everyone else seems to bloody be getting it i'm gonna take collingwood but grudgingly because i just think that over the last couple games it's been three rounds now. They've dealt with the instability. I think West Coast are A, sick to death of it, and B, pretty hungry to take a scalp. These two teams always seem to have play good games against each other. So I'll take Collingwood by goal because I really think that West Coast might come to play. I think West Coast will come to play as well, but I'm tipping Collingwood by about three goals. I just think that West Coast, even if they get players back, lack of match fitness, lack of training, I do think Collingwood's midfield will be too strong for Collingwood uh, for Collingwood for West Coast, um, and yeah, I think Collingwood's forward line so far this year it's just too dangerous for a decimated West Coast defense, even with Shannon Hearn and Jeremy McGovern playing as well as they are. On to uh, do you know what, Patty? I'll 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 break down the I'll skip the order. You can go two games in a row here to start off with Richmond versus the Western Bulldogs at the MCG. Yeah. Oh my God. We always have this weird, we always, Richmond always have this weird habit where they just seem to be completely really looking really poor and they just beat the dogs or beat Brisbane or Geelong out of nowhere. Um, I think I'm genuinely concerned about the Bulldogs forward line. I think Aaron Norton and Cody Waitman are their only genuine forwards, and the rest of them are midfielders or sort of half forward flankers who just seem to have to play out of centre half forward. Um, Zane Cordy can cast, won't play, so it's going to be Jamara Eugel Hagen, Norton Waitman, Mitch Hannon, Latham Vandermeer, which I don't really rate. And the one thing I do rate with Richmond is their back line. However, they're going to be Grimesless and Vlostonless. So that doesn't fill me with great joy. And their midfield, even with Prestia back, just isn't good enough to stop the likes of Bont and Pelly, McRae, Dunkley, Liberatore, etc. So dogs by 20 points, but I feel like this will be close for a decent portion of the game. And the dogs, I think, will just wear down this young Richmond midfield. This 
equally too young and too old Richmond midfield. It's a dangerous no man's land to be stuck in when you're too young and yet also too old. I'm going uh, for a close one. I think it will be a close one the entire match. I wouldn't be surprised if the dogs kick a couple late to steal this one. I'm tipping the Bulldogs by 10 points. Oh, goodness gracious me. I think Richmond's back line without Grimes is going to really struggle, especially now that Norton is starting to play really well. Cody Waitman played the best game of his career and even better. Most of those goals didn't come from free kicks. Good on him. Um, Richmond are the worst clearance team this year. They were the worst in 2021, and now they're even worse than that. The Dogs midfield starting to wake up a little bit. They got given a drubbing against Carlton and against Melbourne, and they looked really, really good against the Swans. And I think if Sydney really struggled with their forward line, who up until that game were doing pretty well, I think Richmond's forward line is going to struggle even more, and their midfield is going to get dominated. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's close. On to a really interesting game, Fremantle versus GWS at Optus Stadium, Saturday night for the Monday should be back. Sean Darcy could probably could 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 be back. Probably will be back. Maybe will be back. So that's potentially two begins for Fremantle. Haynes looks likely to miss. With those players going in and out, you should probably be thinking about tipping Fremantle. However, I just I can't just I can't trust Fremantle yet. They are way too inconsistent. And I just don't trust Fremantle against fellow finals contenders. Yeah, sure, they beat the Crows and they beat the decimated West Coast team. So what? They lost to St. Kilda for crying out loud. And St. Kilda are only barely a finals contender. Against GWS, even with their injuries, I'm going to tip GWS because I trust them more. Even though it's in Perth. And I'm really, really, really thinking about maybe changing this one. No, I'm not. I'm going to tip... GWS in a close one. Giants, so I haven't got a margin here. I'll say I'll make up one. I'll say GWS by five points. Yeah, I'm going to go the other team. I reckon if Frio, I don't know if they'll get Sarong back from his little knee issue. Uh, they'll probably get money back. They might get Darcy back. They should get Darcy Tucker back. No, I'm going to tip Frio. I just think I've been waiting for these. Uh, I was about to say a swear word. I've been waiting for this mob to get the, its act together um, for some time, and they just won't. They're very stubborn. They just won't do it. They keep getting offered these opportunities, and like, mm, no, nah, we're going to let Max King and Jack Higgins kick Aiden. Um, I do think that they win this game. I just don't. GWS lost to Richmond when they really shouldn't have at the MCG. I don't trust them away from home, and I really don't trust them to string two really good performances in together in a row. I think they're flat track bullies and I think Fremantle win by 20 points. Fair point, mate. I can see that happening on to Sunday afternoon football. It's the Bombers and the Crows at Marvel Stadium. Patty, Patty, please. Please tell Yeah, me. Bombers win. It's fine. It's Thank okay. You. You've played Brisbane, you've played Geelong and then you had like a, a really uh, oh my goodness, this is where my brain is at. I've actually forgotten who you lost to on the weekend. Melbourne. That's the one. Um, so it feels such a long time ago on Friday. But you've played three of the better teams in the competition, at least at this time. And you were actually quite good against the Ds, now I remember it. And pretty impressive against Brisbane as well. You're going to beat Adelaide. It's okay. How much? How much? 35 points. I back you that much. Fast yeah. track. 
You're going to get, you might get Nick, Co- Nick Cox back. Harry Jones isn't far away. Help is on the way, dear. McDonald Tip and Woody's kicking goals at VFL level. Zach Reed's coming back. You know, Michael Hurley's had his career threatening hip injury lesson to the point where he might actually play VFL level in a couple of weeks. Help is on the way. Thank goodness for that. Now, um, I am going to try to work in more historical references into this. Um, and this one I might have to bend to make the metaphor work a little bit. But you know what? That's okay because I'm no historian. Don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to mention it anyways. The Mycenaean Greece were the original ancient Greeks before the ancient Greeks were the ancient Greeks. And they were a great civilization who had a massive collapse and everything was lost. And everyone thought, right, here we go. That's it. Greeks are done. Greeks are, you know, no more, no more ancient Greeks. You don't get the Greek classics, Plato, Socrates, none of that. And then all of a sudden they have this rebirth and ancient Greece as we know it comes and flourishes. I feel like Essendon at the moment is exactly where the Mycenaean Greeks were. They've been raided. They've been pillaged. Their society has crumbled to pieces, but hope is on the horizon and we're not too far away from the bomber's rebirth. Is that good enough of a metaphor to screw with? Yeah, do you know what? I'll take it. Yeah, thank you very much. Don't hire me to be a history teacher, anyone. Um, But if you're listening to a footy podcast to try and hire a history teacher, what are you doing anyways? On to the MCG. This one is very intriguing. Hawthorne versus St. Kilda at the MCG. Higgins and Geary out for the Saints. With that being said, I cannot ignore that last quarter from St. Kilda. 64 points in a row they kicked. Unbelievable. And even though Richmond are struggling, I do think they are a better team than Hawthorne. I'm tipping the Saints by 16 points, and that is solely down to one player, Max King. I do not think Hawthorne have the defense to handle Max King. If he could monster Richmond's defense, pretty solid defense, if he could get the better of Fremantle and to a lesser extent, Colin, I think that he'll get the better of Hawthorne. I'm tipping the Saints by 16. Max King to the rescue once again. For all the reasons mentioned, St Kilda by 16 points. Um, I'll go different and say 19. I was about to say, mate. Now, on to Gold Coast. Perfectly explained from you. I, I actually, I was, I was going to go on the same rant, and I'm like, yep, there you go. There you are. Gold Coast versus Carlton at Metricon Stadium. Patty, the last time these two teams played, the Suns dominated every single key category, especially the clearances by 10 in a monster upset late last season. Can the Suns do it again? My fingers are getting it with this one. I really want to tip the Suns. It just strikes me as the game that Carlton would usually lose, but I have to keep reminding myself that they're different now. They're actually good. Capital A, capital G. Um, Suns get Isaac Rankin back, though, which makes me go, Ooh, I like that forward line a lot more with Isaac Rankin in it. Um, so I do... I think Carlton got very lucky against Hawthorne. I think they were Jacob Wiedering mark away from losing that game. And I do think that, mate, well, obviously Adam Saad probably back and for Jordan Boyd as a straight swap. But I do think they're a little bit due. And I think that 
I really rate they weren't they were very disappointing over the weekend Gold Coast, but I really do rate this sort of midfield nucleus of Wits, Raoul, Anderson, Tootmiller. It's really quite outstanding. Um, their defense, I think, has actually been okay. Sam Collins, Caleb Graham's a good player, very very underrated defender who will barely barely touch the ball, but he racks up so many spoils in one percentage. Um, and they've, but the issue is probably the lack of a really great user because Jack Bowes is injured. But I just do get itchy fingers with this one because I really like Gold Coast chances of causing an upset here because it's just the type of thing that the Suns do. I'm going to stick with Carlton as a sort of, you know, a, a, a sign of my trust in their new system. But I think this is a closer game than many would anticipate. I'm going Carlton by 11 points. Interesting. Interesting. I think because of how well Carlton have improved, I can't see them dropping this game. I can see this being a lot closer than some people are expecting, but I am tipping Carlton by four goals just because, you know, Gold Coast, they're decent. They're not at that level yet where they can beat a team that's really, really, really playing well like Carlton. However, these two teams do play each other really, really well, and the Suns play them really well on the Gold Coast. The Suns play Carlton really well at home. So I wouldn't be totally shocked if they pulled it off, but I don't think it's going to happen. Now, Patty, before we go, which game are you most looking forward to and why? Which game do you think is, could be the biggest blowout of the weekend? Well, I'm really looking forward to the Brisbane Geelong one. Um, because I think that's going to be a bit of a coronation for the Lions. And I just, I do think this day always put on a good show. Um, but sneakily, I'm actually looking forward to Collingwood West Coast and Carlton, Carlton Gold Coast, just because I get a feeling that the underdogs in both of those games are going to really be up for it. Um, I'm not, for blowout, um, I think the Sydney North Melbourne game could get, could get ugly. But just quietly, I do think... Um, Essendon could really do a number on Adelaide because I feel like Essendon are due to really explode and they've got the potential. I'm going to give you an extra one. The, the game I'm really not looking forward to is the Richmond Western Bulldogs one for obvious reasons, mainly because I've got this, this um, nightmare vision of watching Bonham Pelly and, and McRae march untouched out of the center clearance on 10 consecutive occasions while um, poor old Josh Gibkiss has moved on to Aaron Norton like he was onto Max King because Hardwick wouldn't put Bolter on him. I don't want to harp on about it, Casper, but why would you? Do- okay. Anyway, that's my take. There you go. You know what? I'll save Dimmer from your wrath. Um, I, feel like he, I feel like he'll be able to handle me, to be honest. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Um, but yeah, look, I'll, I'll start with the game I'm most looking forward to, and it is Friday night. It's a game between two teams who will probably finish in the top four, Geelong versus Brisbane. It was one of the games last year. It'll be one of the games of this year. Once again, it'll be a great game of football. I'm so looking forward to that one. Another one I think is going to be great is Fremantle versus GWS because that's such a coin toss game. Fremantle at home, but they're so up in the air with form. Can you really trust them? Inconsistent GWS players injured but look at them they beat Geelong and Geelong last year with like half of their playing list out so they're clearly not you know they, they don't have a problem with playing injured um game I think could be the biggest blowout I hope it's Essendon versus Adelaide I really do but I think it will either be I can't really see it being Sydney North Melbourne just because the Swans don't smash teams they don't annihilate teams often 
even when they probably should. I'm tipping Melbourne to absolutely tear Port Adelaide apart, if you pardon the pun. I think they will cause a massive power outage at the Adelaide Oval. And game I'm least looking forward to, just because I think Carlton's going to win this one and I don't want to watch Carlton win another game, it's Carlton versus Gold Coast. Patty, mate, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for joining me. Good luck for Saturday night. Hopefully it is not a disaster for the Tigers. Thanks, Cass. Pleasure as always. Hopefully Dimmit listens to you this weekend, Patty. And dear listener, thank you for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. Join me next week as we review the AFLW season and the AFLW Grand Final before touching upon round five of the men's. It promises to be a monster episode and I'll see you then. Mm-hmm.